The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings, pet lovers, and Happy New Year. It's hard to believe that 2023 is just around the corner. What a relief. Good year, Doc, or interesting year? Oh, very interesting year. Some good, some not so good, but that's kind of the way it is every year. I think for me, it was a difficult year, but only to see a vision of a brighter 2023. But so what are we waiting for? Let's get on with the show. This is our end of the year, our year in review. Doc, can you provide us with a rundown of our guest? So joining us today is Kathleen Summers from the Humane Society of the United States, discussing animal welfare issues. Mark Cushing from the Animal Policy Group talking about pet business. Beth Edelman talking some of the funniest animal stories of 2022. And joining us today is veterinarian Dr. Mark Seitz, Associate Clinical Professor at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Mississippi State University. Dr. Seitz, welcome back to the PEPAs. We're pleased to have you join us for this year in review episode of the Best in Pet Talk Radio. How you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you so much for having me back again. Love having you back. So Dr. Seitz, can you discuss some of the top challenges and issues for veterinarians in 2022? Uh, absolutely. I think for a lot of us, uh, one of the biggest issues still facing veterinarians is left over from the COVID pandemic. Perhaps the most wonderful thing to come out of it, people had time to devote to their pets and even added pets to their houses, but the veterinary industry wasn't ready for that. So even now that we're starting trying to get normal back, um, we are still dealing with nation and worldwide veterinary shortages and not just the vets, but the backbone of the vet profession, the veterinary technicians as well. Um, I, I think there's going to be a couple strategies to help us deal with it. As you can imagine, um, it just takes its toll from a well-being standpoint, and it's hard keeping up with the pace and the demand right now. Uh, but that's still the biggest issue facing vets is how to staff to take care of all the wonderful pets that are coming in her doors. You know, it's funny because I always say this, like Dr. Fleck is a mean machine at his age. I mean, he's pushing 80 and he's working seven days a week. And then he goes down to Miami. He'll go... Um, on Tuesday, Tuesday nights to Miami. And sometimes I just call him because I'm so worried about him driving. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough. A lot of people are having uh, problems being able to get vet appointments in a timely basis. You know, um, technology is changing the world as we know it on a daily basis. I'm curious, let's talk telemedicine. Do you think we're going to see based on our conversation, do you think we're going to see more pet owners embracing a new way of interacting with pets, pet owners, and veterinarian? Or is it going to be like pet insurance and will take years and years and years to take off? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And segueing from the first question you ask, I see telemedicine as a solution to helping uh, veterinarians and pet owners nationwide. What's funny as a radiologist, we, we laugh because we've been doing medicine from the beginning. It's weird to think about, but anytime a vet reaches out to a radiologist for a report, that's telemedicine. And then it's quickly expanded to internal medicine and critical care. But now what we're facing finally is the catch up of, yes, I think it's going to outpace the role that insurance has had. And I think it has to. And I think there's going to be kind of forms of telemedicine. There's going to be the telemedicine that is directly with the pet owner and their primary care vet 
to come in for visits that maybe don't necessitate coming in, recheck exams, the do I need to come in, how are things doing, um, and maybe even shuffling some of those visits to, I see our techs having a bigger role tool, role to almost like a physician's assistant. But the other expanding role of telemedicine is supporting our GPs to offer better services and connecting them with specialists, especially in areas that may not have specialty hospitals. So for example, I can talk to somebody in Canada about their pet's radiographs as long as we both have internet connection. And this goes for a lot of different consultations. Okay, well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with veterinarian Dr. Mark Seitz about veterinary development news and issues in 2022. Okay, my next question for you has to do with interesting or exciting scientific breakthroughs in vet med this year. What do you think that's been like super cool? Yeah, so uh, when I was thinking about this, there's so many. But just for our audience today, I, I tried to break it down into five, and I'll keep it brief, but five breakthroughs that I think are going to really change where we're at. The first, and I credit one of my mentors, and she said, Mark, always have your pulse on what's going on outside your field. So the first breakthrough is the fact that we sent the James Webb telescope to space. I know that's not vet med, but we just have to marvel at that, uh, that we are still cool. looking both inside animals and in deep space for answers. But the second, um, scientists just discovered a 30,000 year old woolly mammoth frozen in ice, completely frozen to the it has fur. And I know what you're thinking, what does this have to do with vet med? But again, segueing into what we're gonna talk about uh, with some cancer breakthroughs, there are secrets lying in animals from years past that have been dead, they're extinct. All of a sudden we have access to DNA, we can study. And, and I think that's just a really exciting potential. When I started it, it, it was like looking back in time. Um, and so we'll, we'll hold off on the, the final breakthrough dealing with cancer. The third breakthrough, I think, is the science behind probiotics. When I went to school, probiotics were just to help diarrhea, and there was question if they even worked. And now, I'll admit, I was taking some CE on probiotics. In addition to helping with diarrhea associated with antibiotics, key chemotherapy, we're now finding that they can treat urinary issues, liver health, um, and sure, get this, behavior problems. We're finding they can reduce anxiety in pets to help uh, skin allergies. And I think the scientists are asking the best questions. This is all short-term research. We don't know what they're gonna do beneficial-wise, long-term health of the pet. Are we gonna see pets living longer, getting less cancer, getting less chronic long-term diseases? So probiotic research, I think is a huge, huge breakthrough. Uh, cancer therapies more effective because they target cancer cells better using this Nobel Prize winning research. Now let's talk about cancer because now funded in part by the White House's Cancer Moonshot Initiative. Mm -hmm. Why is the National Institute of Health swapping and collecting DNA samples from all breeds of dogs? And I think cats too. Yeah. So it, I, we're at a really exciting time in medicine. Um, there's this concept called One Health which is really uh, all, all species walking on this planet deserve to be looked at with the same attention and can help each other. And um, for those who don't know, the, the Moonshot Initiative, you think, oh, is this about space? No, um, the White House put a large amount of money, we're talking a billion dollars, toward some pretty aggressive goals. And the goal was to reduce the death rate from cancer by 50% over the next 25 years. That's a tall task, but it is achievable. And so as you hinted, they're really, really starting to look toward the DNA of both humans and dogs. And what's weird, dogs get a lot of the same cancers that humans do. And so if you look at what cancer technology is right now, Ms. Charlotte, our, our role in treating cancer is very limited. Well, it's expanding, but historically, we've tried to kill cancer cells through drugs that are toxic to cells. And we give just enough the drugs, chemotherapies, to kill the cell without killing the person. This obviously comes with it a lot of side effects. 
And what we're discovering, if we just had a way to target those cancer cells only, then our therapies can have a lot less side effects and we can kill the cancer, maybe put them not just in remission, but cure them. And so what we're finding curiously is the key is with genetics. And so they're doing a lot of studies in dogs. And I'll, I'll highlight a really neat study that's being done by the Morris Animal Foundation. It's called the Golden Retriever Study. They basically enrolled 3,000 golden retrievers in 2012. And they're looking at four big cancers that humans get, lymphoma, hemangiosarcoma, mouse cell tumor, and osteosarcoma. And what they're doing is looking at all this stuff, genetic included, that are going to unlock the key. And to, to demonstrate sort of where that research is going, which I think is exciting, what we're finding is that in order to sort of tap the secrets of the gene, um, I heard somebody talk about it, where we're going to be in 30 years is you're going to go get diagnosed with a cancer. They're going to sequence your genome as an individual. They're going to sequence the cancer's genome. And then a week later, you're going to have an immunotherapy or an injection that literally goes and, and teaches your body to kill those cancer cells itself, much like a vaccine. Wow. We're, we're seeing that come out. We have a melanoma vaccine that prolongs survival, but that's a very generic vaccine. Um, what we're looking at doing is using this DNA to literally design stuff for the individual. And we're starting to see some neat research come out um, involving other technologies all this technology is going to benefit humans. It's it's amazing. Well, you know, it's amazing because like we used to think of the future and now we are living in mm -hmm. the future. We're starting to see the results, but these ideas are popping up. Yeah. Uh, genetic mapping is so important and people really, um, especially with dogs and humans, the value of DNA testing mm -hmm. is unbelievable. DNA kits first came out, really pet owners em embraced them. Vets were kind of like, uh... And then as we learned about behavior and food, and then we started looking at sighthounds allergic to medication, and now we have this whole world mm -hmm. where we can isolate cancer genes and learn about our, our genetic makeup and, and hopefully at an early age start to solve problems. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah. Similarly, we genetically tested our new puppy, Georgie. And we found out he has half the genetic material for the I never feel uh, full gene. And we laugh, we call it that, but it, it's a gene that's rampant among labs. And guess what's one of the top breeds to have obesity? Labradors. Labradors. And you actually know? there's an isolated gene that a veterinarian isolated in Australia. He looked at yellows, browns, and chocolates mm -hmm. and who was getting fatter. And it was the chocolates. And his name is Mark. I can't remember. I had him on the show a few years ago. And mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was interesting. I, I think of him every so often. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy New Year. Just to remind you, that was Dr. Mark Seitz from Mississippi State University discussing veterinary development news and issues in 2022. Up next, feline behaviorist Beth Edelman discusses some of the funniest animal stories of 2022. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. 
I know you love your dog and you want to treat him well, but with so many treats in the pet marketplace, how do you choose? Look for treats made with no additives or preservatives, just natural ingredients, like Hunter's Healthy Treats. Choose pumpkin, sweet potato, or peanut butter heart-shaped treats. Not only are they good for your dog, but he will love the taste too. For healthier treats and happier dogs, choose Hunter's Healthy Treats. Visit Hunter'sHealthyTreats.com. Hunter's Healthy Treats is a proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Happy New Year and thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. We are the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. This is our end of the year in review. Joining us today is an author and certified feline behaviorist, Beth Edelman. Happy holiday, Beth, and glad you're joining us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Happy holidays to you both and to everyone who's listening. So, Beth, let's talk funny cat stories. Have you found any for us this year? Well, there's a, cats are typically very funny. They have a great sense of humor, as anyone who has a cat knows. But there was this one that I read about a, a Buddhist monk in Thailand. So this was last year at the New Year. There's a long prayer that uh, monks recite at the new year, they chant. And one of the temple cats in, in the, the temple where he was in Thailand decided to kind of climb all over him and kind of nuzzle him and then got in front of the book that he was chanting from and kind of did that kneading thing on his robe and all of that. And so finally he just had to just stop what he was doing and pay attention to the cat. You know, Dr. Fleck, I know that story. And what was so interesting about that story is that Buddhist monk says the Buddhist monks get together and they say this one prayer. It's a five hour meditation and prayer. We know that you're a cat specialist, but you got any great bird stories? Oh, I do. So there was this pigeon that flew over the border of Pakistan and India. So, you know, two countries that are not especially friendly at this moment. And uh, the Indian police uh, arrested the pigeon. They saw a, a ring on, on the pigeon's ankle and arrested him where they were wondering if he was a spy. A spy pigeon. <laughs> it turns out the ring was a cell phone number from the pigeon's owner. You know, a lot of people keep pigeons as pets. They fly them. They use homing pigeons to fly and there are races and all kinds of things. Um, so the pigeon was, after a while, was deeply investigated. And then um, it was deemed to be just an innocent bird and, and released. But what I want to know is, how did they think the reporting back part was going to work? If the pigeon didn't have a camera on him, how was he going to report back? Why this pigeon? Well, there was actually years ago, I did some research because I asked the same question. Years ago, back in 2016, there was a pigeon who was found with a note threatening the prime minister of India. So this, it was strapped to his leg. But again, I find this strange, like, so what if, if the pigeon could carry out that threat, what would he do <laughs> upon the prime minister? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe pass on the bird flu. So if you've just joined us, we're talking with certified animal behaviorist Beth Edelman about some of the most amusing pet stories of 2022. Okay, let's talk dogs, because I know if there's some crazy cat stories and some like 
spyrific bird stories. There must be some really whacked out dog stories. Well, there was a story of a man in the Dominican Republic who was uh, in jail. He was taken into custody, relatively minor offense, violating curfew. Um, and his dog came down to the police uh, precinct and begged for him to be released. <laughs> and the the police uh, colonel said, I'm, I'm going to let him go because anyone can come here. But the dog told me that the man was his man. So I'm going to let him go. Dog was, you know, probably sniffed him out. Was searching for his man. And it, it makes me think about something really interesting because the the police colonel said, I let him go because the dog came for him. And I was thinking, could I just go to Tiffany's, take what I want, possibly get arrested, and then my cats would come for me and they'd let me go? I don't know because he broke curfew. So I think there might be a difference <laughs> between stealing from Tiffany. I mean, the thing is, if you steal from Tiffany, you'll be on the whole fifth. There's a list. There's a whole Fifth Avenue list of criminals. I don't know, would your 10 year old, if she got away, like go to the police station? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, Beth, you had another cat story that you I wanted did. to share with me that you didn't get a chance to talk about. I did. So there was this guy who posted on Twitter. It was a photograph of uh, five indoor outdoor cats that were curled up in his satellite dish his for tv reception so this is a 500 dollars satellite dish and it was a cold day and the satellite dish has this self-heating feature where when it snows it, it heats up a little bit to melt the snow so that you can still get tv and internet reception and so it was a cold day it was snowy and the cats uh got it all got in the satellite dish their 500 dollars cat bed and the guy realized it because his internet had slowed down a bit. <laughs> and so he went outside to check the dish and there were all these cats sleeping in the dish. Brilliant cats. Really brilliant cats. I mean, how great is that? Like heated satellite pet bed. $500 satellite pet bed. Yeah. So this was, this was actually um, the company that makes those dishes is Starlink, which is part of the SpaceX company. So Starlink, they make spacecraft, satellite dishes, and uh, heated cat beds. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, I wonder if he's going to start making, you know, the English, they make all kinds of stuff. Like that guy who made the Liz Trussie doll, but it got stuck with him because she only stayed in office for 45, 44 days. Now, I wonder if he's going to make heated. I mean, there are heated cat beds. So we'll change the subject. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you close out the segment with Beth? Beth, <laughs> happy new year. Before, before you go, can you share your website with us? So it's bethedelman.wixsite.com backslash cat behavior. Happy new year to everyone. Those were some fun stories. I mean, in the, in the scheme of things, I mean, animals do do hilarious things. You got any stories, Dr. Fly? I do have a story, but I don't want to take up the time because 
my thought was when we started talking about the pigeon and the pigeon could be passing disease malady in my in my preparation for public health seminars that I've done and looking at all the diseases back in the 14th century there was wars between people and you know when they had battles the battles lasted for years they didn't last for days or weeks yeah like the war of the and roses so what they did is that the, the one group was up on the top of the valley and what they did to destroy the other group they got a bunch of bunnies with tularemia and they sent them down into the valley and got everybody sick tularemia yeah that was a yeah, obviously I don't that know if be... that was an uh, like a hilarious pet story or that was a flex facts from history. Well, it, it became hilarious when you think that we'd see all these little bunnies hopping around and they would think that they'd be playful little objects to play with, not knowing that they were essentially attacking them. Wait, you said 14th century? I think it was 14th, 15th century. I think that's more of a food source. You know, this reminds me exactly. of, of the Monty Python film with the killer rabbit. Monty Python and Holy Grail. Remember, they had a killer rabbit in yep. that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta. We get... don't want to give any of the bad guys any bad ideas. No. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Although I will say this on a, an end note: if you are looking for a fuzzy, wuzzy, adorable pet mm -hmm. for your child, consider adapting a, adopting a rabbit from a local shelter. Uh, rabbits are the third largest animal groupings and i didn't say that right but you guys know what i mean in public shelters because a lot of people get them on easter and then they dump them off when they can't take care of them so rabbits make great pets even for not only children but even for adults so be consider prepared for hygiene care yes be prepared for hygiene care and you just can't keep a rabbit in a hutch mm -hmm. and leave it alone but like we want to talk about fun stuff so author and behaviorist beth edelman thanks so much for discussing some of the most amusing <laughs> pet stories of 21 2022 i'm getting my years confused 2022 so stick around everybody mark cushing is up next discussing a roundup of pet industry news wait for the battle mark and i always get into it bye, bye. happy new bye. year you are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. We, we wish you a, a happy new, new year. year. This is our year in review special programming, and we're happy to spend time with some of our favorite guests for our the year. Our favorite guests, yes. And joining us is author Mark Cushing, who is also the CEO and founder of the Animal Policy Group. Mark? Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us today. I'm telling you, I wish I was there in person, but uh, I'm happy to talk to the Pet Buzz and, and your ginormous audience throughout Florida and the rest of the country. So uh, let, let's get started. So, Mark, quick question for you. Do you think that many of the pet industry news stories in 2020 have really revolved around the pet supply chain? And will that change in 2023? So... Great question, and it, it depends. Uh, 
whether we're talking about literally the supply of pets chain or the pet sector supply chain issues. If it's uh, number two. Yeah, because if it was the former, actually, you're now beginning to see relinquishments due to lack of uh, access to veterinary care. So people can find a dog or a cat if they need one. But I think a number did. Um, and, and they're interesting. They differ greatly as to the, the type of supply chain issue. The greatest supply chain problem we have, and it's got to get solved, and I spend probably 50% of my time addressing it, is not enough veterinarians. Now, you probably didn't style that question in terms of labor supply, but in truth, that's the cloud, that's the engine, that's the bottleneck, however you want to phrase it, that is affecting every aspect of the pet world right now, which is just the acute and chronic and probably permanent shortage of veterinarians. Well, two things. You and I talked about pet food uh, last time you were here. Dr. Fleck wasn't here. Now, I'm going to let Dr. Fleck answer the veterinary medication issue because you had supply chain issues, right, Dr. Fleck? I have supply chain issues every week, of common, regular, every-use types of, of medications, whether it's antibiotics, whether it's corticosteroids, uh, whether it's um, uh, supportive other medications for uh, specific kinds of treatments for intestinal tract or kidney. We have difficulties securing uh, products every week. Now, it may become available uh, two or three months later, but of course our pets need that medication right. uh, at the present time. So, you know, we do a, we do a lot of investigative uh, exploring, trying to find medication someplace. Uh, and generally speaking, we can't find it. Your question to me, though, um, in my uh, defense, focused on oh, news. We're not, no, we're not blaming it. We're not blaming you. I'm no, just no, Charlotte, I, I'm just having fun with you. No, your question was the news. Sure. And, and, and actually, uh, doctor, I don't think there's been as much coverage. And, and I think there should have been much more coverage of, of these shortages. I, I think because I, I, I don't question at all the experience you've had. Um, and I work with some of the uh, the big pharmas. So I, I don't think anybody's been immune to the supply chain limitations at, at any stop along the way. I have a question because I've been wanting to ask this question for a while. So what kind of focus groups do you do, Mark, with Gen Zs? First of all, I have four millennial and one Gen Z children. So I do I do I have I have a personal source. My youngest daughter's. Uh, an early Gen Z. Um, I talk to a lot of companies. On a given day, I'm in contact with probably 10 to 15 serious players in the pet industry from uh, a, a delightful 47 client group that I have, uh, all tied in some fashion to pets and animal welfare, but mainly to pet services and, and healthcare. So I ask them a lot about that. Um, I've got a, a researcher, Carrie O'Hara, I have a partnership with. She came out of Nationwide Pet. PhD has done some of the most uh, interesting research in the sector. She's in the field a lot and we talk. So my information isn't purely anecdotal, Charlotte, but, but, but I don't do focus groups. But the thing about Gen Zs um, is that in terms of their buying habits, they will soon become millennials on steroids, but they're not there yet. They're, you know, they're early stage millennials, you know, eight years ago when millennials were just coming out of college, just getting their first jobs, didn't have a whole lot of money. But the first thing you did was get a pet. You know, millennials grew up with pets. They made sure they had pets. Gen Z's are, are every bit the same. And um, 
they they want the same level of health care for their pet as themselves. That's the singular difference right now in the pet economy. And it's the greatest tailwind in the industry. And I don't know if doctor would agree with me, but you have the biggest pet owning cohort, millennials, and they've made it clear they will pay for the same health care for their pets as they get for themselves. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with one of our favorite guests, one of our dream team players, player Let's players, Mark Cushing from the Animal Policy Group, discussing pet business in 2020. This is our year in review. Let's talk about predictions, right, Dr. Fleck? Mark, so pet industry trends for next year. Okay, I, I, you're going to see, I think, a significant uptick in the usage of and ultimately legislation that will open the doors for veterinary medicine to follow human medicine and recognize telemedicine as a legitimate tool to help practices deliver care, number one. Um, and that's, I've been working on that for seven years. This year, I think the tide is turning, driven by the shortage and just the acute need for people to, to step up and, and, and be helpful. Number two, that uh, doesn't get much attention, we we have had meetings I've been part of convening that bring animal welfare groups together with people that on the commercial side, including breeders, to try to get rid of this, this notion that that's unfair, but it's been politically very effective to paint all commercial breeders in America as puppy mills. And if you paint all commercial breeders as puppy mills, you essentially say we shouldn't have commercial breeders. And if you take commercial breeders out of the picture, the 8.3 million new dogs we need every year in this country have to come from overseas. And that's not a, a, a friendly or an easy or helpful solution. So I'm part of a group that wants to be able to say, if you have humane breeding standards and we certify them, there can be good breeders. There are good teachers and bad teachers. <laughs> there's good lawyers and bad lawyers. Um, you know, there's, there's good breeders and bad breeders. But right now, all breeders are thrown in the same basket called puppy mills. So a lot of the things that you're talking about, we actually talk about with other guests. So I think if it's news, if it's in the industry and it can be thought provoking, I think it's I think it's good. And that's why we love having you come on the well, show. Charlotte, let, let me make a point there with with. By the way, were you at the Westminster when that Beagle won? Uno. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was there. You, we we're in the same uh, we we're in the same hood. We should have said hi. But uh, that was some years ago. But um, what's changed? is that millennials, you know, I come back to them and you'll hear me blame them or credit them for a lot. Millennials are the cohort that have told the dog sourcing world, we're not going to apologize if we want to get pure breeds and we're not getting pure breeds to show. We want pure breeds because we've studied their behavioral uh, profiles. And that's the kind of dog that we want to live in Manhattan or we want to live in a suburb of Denver with our three kids. And millennials did not buy the adopt, don't shop moral kind of uh, ethic that so many people promoted that you had an ethical duty to go to a shelter first. They're like, we will pick the dog we want. And they want, in many cases, designer breeds, but they want pure breeds. So you take these sustained growth of the show world that you you know so well and, and, and enjoy, as do I, coupled with millennial and Gen Zs that want the dog that they want. And that has really increased the pressure on having a sustainable breeding source. Uh, canine care certified run out of Purdue University is a solution. Um, and they, they have 120 breeders so far that have gone through a very rigorous program to be certified. 
And uh, th that's that's ultimately the future I want to help promote. We need to wrap it up, Mark, because our next guest is waiting on the phone. I'm just happy to get a sliver of your time. So I'm sure you're upgrading with your next guest. You two have great holidays. I'll see you next year. And you and I have a, have a lunch date in Orlando in March. Okay. A lunch date. Are we going to have enough time? Lunch can start before noon, as you know. <laughs> oh, I know. It'll be fun to see you. Good, good to have you back, doctor. Hope all's well in your world. So how about a website for our people? Uh, MarkLCushing.com is my author website animalpolicygroup.com or .org is my business one. It'll probably take a little bit more. Take a look at it and get mad at me and 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 cheer me at the same time. So, Oh, I want to have more discussion about things that you're working on, like telemedicine and the different groups and what they're expecting from the veterinarian and yeah. how we can deal with this. I would point out that I'm open seven days a week. Every day we leave a short period of time available for those immediate concerns. Thanks for joining us for this special year in review. You're one of our special guests. We look forward to having you back in the show in 2023. All right. Take awesome. care, you guys. Thanks. Now, next up, Kathleen Summers from the Humane Society of the United States. Stay tuned. Always more buzz. Training matters for all dogs, especially for puppies. To make training fun and enjoyable, motivate your pooch with Hunter's Healthy Treats. Hunter's Treats contain no corn, wheat, soy, preservatives, added flavors, or food coloring. Dogs love them because they're soft-baked with healthy ingredients like pumpkin, peanut butter, and sweet potato. Train your dog to give him the best life with the best motivation. Hunter's Healthy Treats. Visit Hunter'sHealthyTreats.com. Hunter's Healthy Treats is a proud partner of the Pet Buzz. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. In this episode, we're discussing 2022, a year in review. Mahatma Gandhi said that the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way in which its animals are treated. And that is why we want to highlight in this end of the year issue, a review of animal welfare issues and news stories and 2022. And we're excited about wel welcoming today Kathleen Summers of the Humane Society of the United States. She is the Director of Outreach and Research for the Puppy Mills Campaign and works with our dear friend, John Goodwin. Kathleen, welcome to the Pet Bus today. Thanks for having me. We're excited about you, uh, yes. you being here. So in preparing for this year-end issue that we've done for as long as this show existed, uh, like many other news stations, I always look for something interesting to talk to. And this year we did a, something a little different. Usually we have various guests on, but. You know, it's interesting as I look around and I see in shelters and I see a lot of people with pets, a lot of people have pit bulls. And we're starting to see a dynamic changing that the pit bull has kind of come full circle in terms of being America's best friend to, I don't want to say a public enemy, but to consider it a dangerous creature. And now it's back to being a beloved pet. And many people who never thought they would get a pit bull are really proponent of the breed and really out in the front lines working to prevent breed ban legislation. So what say ye about that? Well, I think mostly pit bulls have 
always been a popular popular dog. There's always people that like to have that big, powerful dog, whether they're to go jogging with or um, play Frisbee with. Uh, but they did get a bad rap for a while um, because of some stories that, you know, perhaps unfairly identified dogs as pitbulls, many of which weren't even pitbulls. And I think, interestingly, the advent of the, the ease of being able to DNA test your dog now has proven to many people that some of the dogs that we automatically maligned as being a pit bull um, or assumed was a pit bull when, you know, dealing with landlord issues and such things, many were not even pit bulls and vice versa. So I think that's led to a lot more open-mindedness about the breed. Um, and we still do see a lot of pit bull type dogs in shelters. But what we're finding when we dig into that issue is that many of them are ending up there due to landlord issues and issues of people trying to find housing that will rent to them with that type of dog. But I mean, you know, a lot of times when you read newspapers and you see children being mauled, a lot of times, unfortunately, it is pit bulls. But I think we are at a point where we know that it's not necessarily the dog, it's the environment, the love and the home that it's brought into. It's definitely the environment and the training that the dog has had. Um, but also, I think, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a pitbull per se. There's a pitbull terrier. There's there's other bully type breeds, sure. uh, but very often dogs are sort of automatically labeled as a pitbull when they're not even necessarily a pitbull, or they may only have twenty five percent pit type breed in them. Sure. I mean, look at Michael Vick's dogs. I mean, they actually were were transformed, and now they're pets, and some of them live at various shelters at Best Friends, for example, with individuals across the Here's country. Here's another example you can look at this in my practices. We have to muzzle a number of pets in order to be able to do a, a thorough evaluation of them before having either the pet owner, my staff, or myself bitten. We have to really muzzle pit bulls very infrequently. We muzzle smaller pets more frequently. <laughs> Those like chihuahuas. Yorkies, like chihuahuas. Yeah. But the point is, is that when a chihuahua bites us, it hurts a little bit. When a pit bull or a rotty or a German shepherd bites us, it usually breaks our arm. So that's why it's become so relevant that you have to have special care and awareness of these things. But as for the numbers of bites, I get more bites from the little ones, yeah. the little ankle biters. Your puppy mill campaign has been very successful in terms of stopping the cycle of puppy mill pets sold at pet stores. We're looking forward to, you've got pending legislation uh, by the governor of New York State in 2023, as well as you're moving forward with your campaign in our hometown of Bradenton, Florida. But was your organization surprised by the news piece published by Ed Sayers, former president of the ASPCA, about banning pet stores from selling dogs will, not, will do nothing to shut down puppy mills? Well, I think he's very much mistaken. I think that the reason that pet stores selling puppy mill dogs is such a problem is because of those impulse buys. And it reducing, ending the sale of puppies in pet stores is going to greatly reduce those impulse buys. Now, some people are saying, well, if you, if you shut off that pet store outlet for puppy mill dogs, people are just going to buy them online. Um, that's an assumption that we haven't proven. In fact, we don't think that's the case at all. For example, most people who are buying in pet stores, it's either an impulse or there's somebody that wants to meet and hold and cuddle the puppy before they buy the puppy. Those are not the same people that are shopping online for a puppy. Um, another thing we've noticed, we recently finished a study that showed that the number of dogs per USDA licensed facility over the last 10 years has been reduced from about 57 dogs per facility, I'm sorry, about 87 dogs per facility 10 years ago to 57 this year. So we are seeing an imp impact and we are seeing the size of those puppy mills shrinking. 
That's great. And now about the former president of the ASPCA? Well, he's simply mistaken. Um, I, I don't know if he was really an expert on puppy mills while he was in charge of the ASPCA or if he dealt more with shelter issues. Um, but it's simply not true that pet stores are getting puppies from these very well-regulated breeders, which is what a lot of people that are opposed to this legislation are saying. They're saying, well, without these well-regulated sources of puppies, people are just going to go to unregulated breeders. Pet stores do not get their dogs from well-regulated sources. A person needs a USDA license to sell to pet stores unless they have five breeding females or fewer. So the pet stores will tell you, well, we get our dogs only from USDA licensed breeders or hobby breeders, which is everybody. Because in order to legally sell to a pet store, you need this license. It doesn't mean you're a good breeder. It just means you have this license saying that you do get inspected now and then. But the standards that you're inspected for as a USDA breeder are extremely minimal bare survival standards. So many USDA breeders have 100, 200, 300 more dogs that live their entire lives in tiny wire stacked cages. And that is completely legal for breeders who sell to pet stores. So pet stores are not getting their dogs from the best breeders because you know what? The best breeders want to meet the people who are taking home their puppies. They want to make sure that you're going to provide a great home for the puppy, that you know who they are personally so you can call them if you have a problem with the puppy or God forbid need to return the puppy. And they're probably going to have a contract that says you need to spay or neuter this puppy so that we don't have uh, you know additional dogs needing homes in our communities when our shelters are already full. All of these things are things a good breeder would do, and and they're not the ones selling to pet stores. And the pet, and sometimes the best breeders, when you meet them, they make it sound like you might not even make the cut. It's kind of scary, <laughs> you know. But they want to make sure that those dogs go to homes where they're going to be loved and cared for. And you also have the financial wherewithal, as well as doing testing. So I think that's um, a really great point. I mean, I was really, I, I mean, I'm still stunned by that article. Uh, he went from former president of the ASPCA, where he did an out pretty good job, to now he is at Petland, running the Petland Charitable Foundation. Okay, so um, let's move on. So if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Humane Society of the United States, Kathleen Summers, a new guest for us about animal welfare issues of 2022 and beyond. Kathleen, I would love it if you could review some local and national animal welfare le legislation of 2022 and what we can expect in 2023. I guess two or three examples are great. Great. Well, we had some success in 2022 stopping the sale of puppies in pet stores. Illinois was the most recent state to ban the sale of puppies in pet stores statewide. And New York is poised to pass such legislation as well. If the governor signs it, it will be the sixth state in the country to ban the sale of puppies in pet stores. And and what else can we find? What is there anything in Congress that, that's coming down the pike or I mean, not just about puppy mills in general? Well, what we're seeing is a lot of uh, localities banning the sale of not only puppies and kittens and in many cases rabbits in pet stores. Um, localities are also banning the sale of fur in many cases. And uh, some European countries have also banned factory farming of fur. Uh, and we're seeing some progress as far as animal cruelty laws as well. I mean, we think of our pets, but they need to think of all animals because they're issues that concern all animals. Kathleen, you got your job worked out for you. <laughs> and we thank you so much for joining us today. But before you leave, can you give us the Humane Society's website where our listeners' audience can learn more about animal welfare issues as well as the initiative that your organizations are working on for 2023? 
Sure. We're at humanesociety.org and the Puppy Mills site is humanesociety.org slash Puppy Mills. People listen to us. What an interesting interview. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for sharing today. We're glad that you were able to join us. It's always nice to have a new face. Dialogue from can just be expanded and sure. expanded and expanded all for the welfare of our pets yeah. and our pet parents. So thank you. Well, what an interesting interview with HSUS, Kathleen Summers discussing various animal welfare issues in 2022 and beyond. It's a wrap for 2022. Wow. But before we go, can you give us a preview of next week's show? Yeah, you know, next week we're talking with Dr. Lori Teller, the president of the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, about making New Year's pet resolutions and with Dana Brooks, president and CEO of the Pet Food Institute about pet owner concerns. Now that's going to be a really interesting mm-hmm. interview. We have to thank our guests, so I'll do that. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Mark Seitz, Beth Edelman, Mark Cushing, and Kathleen Summers. And of course, we must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And Hunter's Healthy Treats, making all natural, yummy treats for dogs of all sizes. If you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this special issue, this end of the year issue, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning. And always, most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. You know, we want to wish you and your two-legged and four-legged family members peace, prosperity, and good health in 2023. God bless. And goodbye. Looking forward to more of the Pet Buzz in 2023. Hip, hip. Hooray! Hip, hip. Hooray! Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.